time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, friends, and welcome back to The Right Conversations. Today, we are having a conversation about burnout recovery with Michelle Goodlow. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Michelle on an Instagram Live, um, which feels like 10 years ago. It was not 10 years ago. Oh, but it was some time ago. Um, and I just, I loved what Michelle had to say and the content that she's putting out in the world. And so when I started the podcast, I was like, oh, she's got to come on. So without any further ado, Michelle, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, Rachel. And hi, everybody listening. My name is Michelle Goodlow. I am a Taurus sun and a Sagittarius rising in moon. I am an 18-month-old mom. My favorite foods are breakfast food, like almost any breakfast food, Ooh. and chicken wings. They're a tie. I love them both. My favorite game is Monopoly, and I have to be the hat. Have to be the hat, okay? It's essential to my being. I'm a Harry Potter girl. I love Ravenclaw, Team Ravenclaw. And I absolutely love taking a break with like a snack and a book with my feet up. That's my favorite way to relax. What I do professionally is I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I am also a published author and a well-being strategist. And I love talking to folks about what they need to do to end their relationship to burnout. That's my spiel. I love that. For, okay, I have to know why the hat. Listen, I don't, ever since I was a little girl, I just like the simplicity of the hat. It just feels right. It's a little bit fancy. It feels like Monopoly to me. It's my favorite. It's my I go-to. love it. I love it. It's so great. What, any Monopoly strategy tips for, for anyone listening? So many. Oh my gosh. I literally played it yesterday with my family. So it's very fresh. It's our yeah. favorite. Yeah, tell us. It's fresh in my brain. It's all about time and making the right deals. Like, don't waste any time with, you know, making deals, getting your, get your monopolies, okay? Just go for it. That's the simplest tip I'm going to share. I love it. Just do it. Yes. yes. Just go. That's, that's it. Don't waste any time. Get your monopolies. You know, that's true. I remember playing a couple of times where, like, I went around the board without doing anything. And I was like, I'm saving my money. And... It's like, then I would just be done. Like everyone was just annihilating me. And I'm like, oh, now I have no money. And it's like this, it's interesting to apply that to real life, right? Like we can hold on to something so tight and think that we're protecting ourselves or protecting the thing we're holding. But like, in reality, we're not. Rachel, that's a word. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Wild. So, yeah. okay. Licensed clinical social worker, how did you figure out that you wanted to work in this like well-being burnout 
area? Because we all have our little like niches and, and I'm, I'm curious how you landed here. Yeah, this was not my original goal. Yeah. I, it, it wasn't. I'm so glad I ended here, or at least this is a part of my journey. So I, the simplest way to describe my introduction into social work was I started it for a lot of social workers and a lot of helpers. It starts with identifying an issue you really care about. And for me, it was domestic violence and intimate partner violence. So I learned specifically in undergrad, my senior year, I learned through one of my professors of social work that you can go into a career of helping folks in unsafe relationships. And I was like, really? Because I had learned that business was the only way to go. Being some type of entrepreneur, marketing, finance, accounting, something like that. None of those things are my skills or my strengths. But it was great to have my mind be expanded through volunteering, interning, and of course, my education. And I learned through this professor that you can help people professionally in this specific way. So I jumped at it. And I started grad school right after undergrad, getting my master's in social work and just felt so aligned. Like I felt like this is where I'm supposed to be and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. My very first full-time job as a social worker was being a children's counselor at a domestic violence agency in North Chicago. Ugh. That's how I started. Ugh. What was that like? Man. I will repeat that it was where I was supposed to be, especially at that time, because intimate partner violence is very confusing for me. And it still is to this day. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I learned so much about helping hold space for survivors from children exposed to domestic violence, to teens experiencing and being exposed to intimate partner violence to adults. There were so many different stories that I experienced and my compassion fatigue was very significant at the time. Uh, and we'll definitely get into that. Yeah. Um, and more or less, I learned that it was even less about me only helping folks in unsafe relationships, but also the promotion and education of healthy relationships. I tease with some of the folks that I would work with, we're in the healthy relationship business, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're doing. I mean, as much as we're trying to help educate everyone on what an unhealthy and what an abusive relationship is, we also want to talk about green flags and healthy communication and boundaries. And so it was definitely a balance of both. It, but it was, a, it was an incredible experience, for sure. And it being my first experience as a professional in social work, there was a lot that went into it. And it was also my introduction to not only compassion fatigue, but burnout. I relate to this story a lot. My my first professional job as a, as a licensed marriage family therapist was working um, with people struggling with addiction who were just getting out of prison on parole or probation. Mm. And I was so excited to... I felt honored to have this role. Um, and I was really excited. And I, I had a past partner who struggled with addiction. And so I felt very, my heart was called to do this, even though the whole focus in school for me was sex and relationships. And then I found this opportunity and I was like, I want to do that. And similar to what you're saying, it, it, it was exactly where I needed to be. But I had never experienced burnout or compassion fatigue until that job. 
And the guilt and confusion that came with that, I was like, I, I filled out the application. Like I wanted this. And yet in the morning I would wake up and like cry because it was so much, it was so much. And I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. What you're saying makes so much sense to me and, and ditto. Because burnout is confusing for a lot of helpers in particular. It, my, my very brief definition of burnout, it's a strong one, but it helps to be concise here. Yeah. Burnout is the experience of long-term exhaustion, disconnection, or even disinterest in what you do because mm -hmm. there's a denial, there's a minimization, or even just ignoring of your humanness. Ooh. Can you say that one more time so people don't have to hit the 15 second back button? Yes. Burnout is the long-term feeling of exhaustion, disconnection, or even disinterest in what you do because you're minimizing, denying, or even ignoring your humanness. I have full body goosebumps right now. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that definition and just any anything you want to expand on there? Absolutely. It, I, I've been studying burnout because I experienced burnout and I look around and so many of my peers, colleagues, family members, friends have also experienced burnout in different areas of their life or different periods of their life. And I've learned over the course of the work that I do that so much, so many habits and patterns related to burnout have to do with us not recognizing our own human needs. One of my favorite ones to just break down is yeah. feeling tired, <laughs> right? I mean, there has been almost like a rebrand of feeling tired in a white supremacist and capitalist world. A lot of us have been taught to either ignore feeling tired or you know push through feeling tired when really feeling tired is just a human reminder that it's time to rest it's just a little ding a little alarm an alert that it's time to prepare for getting some rest to take a break but again and, and of course there's so many layers to this but because of a lot of what we're taught and the systems that we're living in the rebrand on tired is, ooh, 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 this is something I shouldn't be feeling, or oh, I must be lazy for feeling tired, or I need to push through. There's more that I need to get done. Wait a minute, what, how did that happen? Right? Yeah. That's one of those signs. I call them burnout causing or burnout fueling habits. It's not, not giving yourself time and space to just recognize you're tired and need to rest. This is resonating so deeply, and I'm I'm sure with so many people listening too, it, the the feeling of identifying a need, and like you're saying, like basic human need. I don't even mean like complicated, more complicated, elevated needs, but like eating, like hunger, thirst, tired, like ba basic needs, like bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, <laughs> and we're like. Mm, nah, my, my list. And I catch myself doing this still. And it's hard. Like how, 
how can someone start to recognize some of these things that they might be feeling and experiencing and shutting down because of the the systems that were were socialized in in this stupid ass fucking country man <laughs> listen there there's a lot of different ways but the simplest is just becoming aware being aware of the habits that are fueling your burnout so what's causing you to feel so tired every day and again feeling tired is a normal human feeling burnout is not a normal human experience it's the repeated experience of long-term exhaustion related to the habits that are fueling that exhaustion right so how often are you overextending yourself at work or in the role that takes up a lot of your time space and energy how often are you overextending yourself what does overextending yourself even look like? I was just about to say, like, what did, what, how would you describe that to someone who's like, what are you talking about? Right. So what, how I explain it in some of my workshops, I break it down in a journaling prompt. And so I'm going to share it with y'all because I think Ooh. it's, fun. Hey, we, love a we love a journal. We so <laughs> first of all, I want you to think about the last time you felt stressed, like you felt actively stressed or the, the last time a moment happened that was stressful. So first of all, how did you know that stress was happening? Like what was going on? What caused it? How did you know a stressful moment was happening? And then what was going on with your body? Like what did your body do when you noticed you were feeling stressed? Did you notice any tension anywhere? Did anything feel uncomfortable, right? Did your mind start running a bunch of thoughts like all of a sudden that felt kind of intrusive? Did your hands get clammy? Was your throat kind of sore? What was going on with your body? And then the last question there is, what did you do? What happened? When you noticed a stressful moment, when your body tried to communicate with you, what did you do? And that will give you key insight if you are overextending or not. Because what I like to share in my, my workshops is, if you notice you didn't do anything, like you just went about the day, like nothing happened, I wanna let you know that could be a sign of burnout right there of a burnout causing habit, because when our bodies are feeling stress, our bodies are not lying to us a lot of times. A lot of times they're telling us the truth. If our heart is beating faster, if we're starting to sweat, right? If we're feeling a lot of the things, our body's just communicating, we need to do something. And if you notice you're not doing something, you're pushing through, or somebody sees what's going on with your body and goes, hey, are you okay? And you go, yeah, I'm fine. Right? Mm -hmm. If there's a minimization, a denial, or even an ignoring of your human responses, and this is happening over and over and over again, this is the pathway to burnout. Oh, I wish that I heard this conversation many years ago. What do you think would have been different in your life had you heard this conversation many years ago? I love a personification. Uh -huh. So I like to say that this burnout is my unhealthy ex, <laughs> and of course, with my background <laughs> of working with folks in different types of relationships, this just, this just fits, it's aligned yeah. to, so I think I would have broken up with this relationship a long time ago, a long time ago. Yeah. I think I would have showed up very differently for myself in different areas of my life. I think I would have shown up differently as a professional, as a partner, as a family member, as a community member. 
I would have been specifically more compassionate mm. with myself and with others, more patient. Mm-hmm. I think I would have had more fun because I'm getting more rest. Yeah. I've it's never so had anybody ask me that question. It's a great question. Hey, thanks. That makes me happy. I'm so glad. <laughs> love. I love when that happens. Yes. The Honeypot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant-derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honeypot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honeypot order on thehoneypot.co. It's unbelievable what our brains and bodies do when we're just ignoring them. Like, I, the analogy that I give clients often is... Um, you know, when little kids start to begin to be verbal and they're, they're running around and they're like, mom, 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 mom. And kind of like doing like the over and over and over and over and over again. And then you look at them and you're like, yes, honey, what? And they're like, never mind, Bye. And like run away. Like that's often our needs and emotions. And they don't necessarily need to be like held for an hour or tended to, or they don't want you to go play blocks with them in the next room for 90 minutes. They literally just want to be acknowledged. Like, hey, pay attention to me for like five seconds. Like, do you still care about me? Are we still in sync here? Like, do you see me? Do I exist? And our emotions pop up like that. And, And frankly, sometimes like you're saying, our body is telling the truth most of the time. And then sometimes when it's not, then we get better at recognizing that. Yeah. I love that analogy because it's true. It's true. And it's important for us to give our bodies that attention. The more that we practice doing that, amazing how that impacts the rest of our day, our lives even. Yeah. So if someone listening is like, okay, cool. Um, Heard. I am (laughs) ignoring my needs, uh, but I have X, Y, Z going on. And I can't rest. I don't have time. I can't prioritize myself. I am a working mom like you um, mm-hmm. who is being pulled in a million directions. And I simply have to put everyone else's needs before my own. What do you want to say to that person? Because I know a lot of people listening are like, oh, Rachel, did you just crawl inside my brain? <laughs> well, first of all, I see you. I see you and I hear you because that's the experience of a lot of us. And I think there's this, I'm sure folks have seen it floating around on social media and different things that put your needs first, right? Put your needs first. And it's really difficult to do that. So I'm going to say instead of that, can you just put your needs on the list? It sounds like, and and this is, again, I like to really focus on narratives here because that's how a lot of these habits continue to be fueled. Instead of saying you never have time, I want you to really look at your schedule, your agenda. Is there a way you can squeeze in five minutes? 
That's it, just five. To just start somewhere, doing something intentional to interrupt these habits. I love the term um, habit stacking. Mm. Is that the term? I think it's the term. I think it's from Atomic Habits by James Cleary. Oh, you know, this book is on my list. What What is it's it? Too. It's on mine too. So <laughs> habit stacking is a way to develop new habits by adding on to an existing habit. And so mm. a simple one, I, I love the concept, is Brilliant. say that you have coffee, coffee every single morning, every single morning, let's say 8 a.m., you make sure to put on a cup of coffee or it automatically comes on. Is there a way for you to just take like three deep breaths as your coffee is going? Instead of multitasking, instead of loading the dishwasher, instead of putting this in the microwave, is there a way for you to just pause as your coffee starts brewing to take three deep breaths, to just check in on how you're feeling in that moment? I don't even think that takes five minutes. I think that takes a few seconds. Is there a way that you can start doing that every Monday and every Friday? Okay, try that out for this week. Try it again next week. Were you able to get it done? Why don't you add Wednesday in there? Mm. Do you want to extend that time a little bit? Habit stacking. When I tell folks who tell me I never have time for self-care, I'm like, hold on, wait. Wait, is there a way we can just adjust that a little bit to, again, not even put your needs first. That may feel completely impractical, but just try your best to get some of your needs on this list and start really, really, really small and just practice. Once you feel like you've developed one skill, add on to it or repeat it, increase the frequency, add on to something else. And again, start as small as you need to, as small as you need to, the smaller, the better and then repeat. This is how we begin to interrupt mm. some of those mm. narratives and habits. It's tough though, it's tough. I don't wanna take that away. Yeah. We're doing something that feels unnatural because all of us, again, because of the rebrand of tiredness, yeah. we have decided burnout is normal when it is not. So we're unlearning that to try to reconnect to our humanness again. Why do you think it's been rebranded that way? I know that you and I both mentioned white supremacy, capitalism. Can you expand on that for anyone who may not understand that connection? Sure. If you ever heard of the terms like grind culture, hustle mentality, I'll sleep when I die. I even added this one. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that yeah, one. Love, love that one. <laughs> Oof, geez. You know, even the one, this one's really particular to helpers. Because I love what I do, it never feels like work. Mm. Yeah, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life or yes. whatever the fuck that saying That's is. It. That's it. These are rooted in capitalism because a really big value of capitalism is production. And I mean that exactly how it sounds, right? Even if we look at it historically of businesses flourishing because of an increase in production, that's also applied to humankind, that if we produce more, we're good. If we do more, we're more worthy, we're more successful, right? And a lot of these values Again, and they're rooted in white supremacy from where they started. We can just look at history 
and look at how this has impacted the United States in particular, right? Y'all, I'm just going to advise you to go look at your history books. How in the world did the United States get to the place that it's getting? Okay, I'm a, that's me hopping on my high horse. I'm going to hop right off. Okay. No, no, you can stay on it. <laughs> can stay. Yes, please stay. Look at how much, in particular, you know, the United States has valued productivity over humankind. Yeah, that that's how systemic oppression really kind of leans in to how we're feeling about just noticing if we're tired and pausing for a break. All of this is interconnected. There's I a really, yeah. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say there's a generational and historic trauma to our relationship to capitalism, to toxic productivity and hustle mentality. We've related that to if I'm not working, I'm not doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not worthy because mm -hmm. I haven't done enough. Yes. Yes. And I will be punished if I'm not doing enough. And I say this very specifically for Black folks. Folks who have African diaspora, right, in their genes, in their bodies. This is what we've learned. And so it can feel dangerous or unsafe to not constantly be working. Do you see differences in clients of different racial backgrounds in the way that they relate to burnout? Definitely. Definitely. Can you share a little bit about that? Of course. In my counseling practice, my, the majority of my clients are women who are of African-American descent, are Black women. And there's this strong Black woman narrative that shows up so much in the counseling space mm. that I must be strong. I can't be anything else. And again, that's a denial of humanhood because we are more than just strong. We get tired and we need help and we need support and we cannot do it all. It, it shows up so much. And so the first thing I do is awareness. How is this showing up in your life? How do you know it's happening, right? That's, again, I wanna reiterate, that's such an important place for all of us to start. Before we jump into what to do about it, we need to yeah. really learn how did it happen? This is a deep rooted issue. And then where do you want to start with unlearning it? Where And for my clients who are Black people, I like to say, where does it feel safe to start? Right? Where does it feel safe to start? Is there a way we can begin unlearning that you have to do it all and you have to sacrifice your health and well-being and you have to produce, you know, at an un, in an unhuman way to get things done, right? Or be overly generous. What feels safe to start? Because a lot of these unhealthy narratives have helped build a lot of people's successes. So sometimes when we're asking folks to interrupt burnout causing habits, sometimes it reads as, you want me to not do the things that made me successful? What? You're like, yeah. fuck, fuck off. Like, what, why, yeah. why would you tell <laughs> yeah. me that? I don't understand. Yeah. Right, like, what are yeah. you talking about? That sounds insane. Right. That sounds insane. And it should, because we've never looked at it like this before. It should sound unfamiliar and a little bit uncomfortable. I'm asking you to do something that's not supposed to be comfortable. So what do you want to say to someone who is having the experience of absolutely not, that's unsafe? Mm -hmm. Like, no. Mm -hmm. 
I, I want, if someone's sharing that with me, I want them to say, I want to say, is this working for you? Mm. And how much longer do you think it'll work? Because, and I'd love to get a little theatrical here, because if you're operating in a way that's not human, that means you're operating like a robot or like a superhero or a god. And last time I checked, those things only exist within the DC and Marvel universe. Yeah. <laughs> and even they need a break. Yeah, <laughs> I was just about to say, and we even see Thor chilling on the beach. We see like... Captain America sits down and has a beer with Iron Man. They go get shawarma. Like, yeah. even yeah. they are taking breaks. They, no oh. they notice their hunger. Period. They notice that they're thirsty. Bam. And then they rest. <laughs> You're operating in a way that's not human. So how long can you operate like a superhero? Give yeah. me the timeline. Because the last time I checked, you are a human being. And you're supposed to sit down. And you're supposed to say no sometimes. And it's okay if you don't have the capacity. Is this really working for you? Because the last time I checked, we've noticed some issues with your physical health, right? Let's not ignore that piece that overextending ourselves repeatedly can impact our physical health. I noticed this is impacting your mental health, right? The number of folks who are diagnosed with anxiety issues, right? Depressive issues. Right. This is all related. So tell me how long even our phones and devices need to recharge. Right. And they're not, they're not even people. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just technology. Yeah. They even exactly. get arrested. Exactly. Yeah. We can literally put our phone on do not disturb. But if we're trying to put ourselves on do not disturb, we're like, absolutely not. No. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. That's another piece though. That's another burnout causing habit is always being available, mm. especially for helpers. This was a, a big burnout causing habit for me, especially when I worked with kids because I felt guilty not being available. Right. I felt guilty and, and guilty specifically meaning I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Right. Yeah. Before we wrap, I'm curious if you are open to speaking to whether it's personal, professional, or a hybrid of mom guilt Ooh. and how moms, specifically moms or anyone who is in a caretaking position can navigate the not being available all the time piece. Mm -hmm. Like... I know that it's really challenging to not just recognize your own needs, but then to say no to this being that you brought into the world or brought into your family and, you know, close the door or take the hour or whatever it is. And we, we all know that that can lead to burnout. And yeah. so I'm, I'm curious if you'd be open to speaking to that. Of course I would. And in full transparency, I am still figuring it out. Mom guilt and I do not get along. <laughs> we are not friends. <laughs> We're not. At this moment, we are not friendly because the guilt I felt as a mom shows up in a lot of different ways. Mm. I feel guilty not spending time with my son when I'm working. And I have these narratives that have been created that's like, you should be spending more time with him. 
why aren't you spending more time with him? Is what you're doing really that important? And it's like, yes, it is actually. Yeah. I've had to challenge, this is my work that I'm doing and I'm doing this with my therapist of challenging those narratives that have been taught to me that because I am now a parent, that is all that I am. That, that's why I introduce myself in the way that I introduce myself today, because sometimes I need a reminder of who I am. Outside of being a mom or a social worker, I'm way more than these things. And for my son to have the most balanced, loving life, he needs a parent who can show up in a wholehearted way, a parent who's taking care of herself so she can take care of him. So part of these habits and interrupting and disconnecting from mom guilt, because I think she's always going to be around. I'm going to be honest. I think she's going to be around. So I need to heal my relationship with her. Mm -hmm. So part of what I'm doing is intentionally in the mornings, I do one thing minimum for myself before I take care of my son. It's usually when he's still sleeping, but I do one thing. I get dressed or I read a chapter of a book or I make myself a cup of tea, or I work out. I do something that's just for me to remind myself that I matter, that my needs matter, and he will get a wholehearted version of me once I've taken care of myself. I'll be at a higher capacity to meet his needs or decipher which cry means what, or get a very particular snack out of the pantry. He has very particular snacks that he likes. He don't play about his snacks. His mother doesn't either. Okay. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> it helps. Thank you for sharing that. I I really deeply appreciate when people in the helping professions uh, can share about their own stuff. And so mm -hmm. I, I really thank you for, for opening up about that. Of course. So just to put a cherry on top of this incredible Sunday, Thank you, by the way, for being here and for the work that you're doing in the world. What do you want to leave people with today? Yeah, I, I want to leave folks with, it's possible. It's possible to recover from burnout. It is possible to prevent burnout. There are a lot of systemic issues that need to be resolved first. So if you think this is all your fault, it is not. Okay, but you can start somewhere with reconnecting to your humanness. So start small, start really, really small and keep going and celebrate yourself for every time you can reconnect to your humanness. That is how we can end our relationships to burnout. Thank you. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together. <laughs>